0: And this is one of the essential uh, teachings of the Buddha. The way it fits in the, uh, the whole scheme of things is that the Buddha first gave the teachings on the Four Noble Truths, and in other words, four facts that were seen as true by the noble ones, in other words, beings who had direct perception of reality. And so the first of these four that he saw were true. So we have undesirable experiences in our life. And the second that these have causes, the causes being internal, our um, own ignorance, anger, and attachment. The third being that there's a cessation of both these undesirable experiences and their cause. In other words, there exists a state of liberation from these. And fourth, that there is a path to follow to actualize uh, that cessation. And so the path you follow is this Eightfold Noble Path, okay? So the Eightfold Noble Path fits into the fourth of the Four Noble Truths. This is real good for people who like um, this. (laughs) Actually, to share with you one of the the, uh, offerings last year from the one-month retreat, somebody wrote out something called the four ignoble truths okay may buddha show you the way tofu roshi <laughs> may all your mantras t- taste sweet Hershi roshi <laughs> may your clarity remain light and airy rice cake roshi <laughs> and may your realizations arrive hot and on time Pizza Roshi. (laughs) (laughs) So the Eightfold Noble Path comes from Pizza Roshi here, (laughs) okay? (laughs) How to make your realizations arrive hot and on time. (laughs) Okay, so um, let me just list these eight and talk a little bit how they fit together into different things, and then we'll start discussing them. So, um, oh, actually, this is really a great teaching for people who like this because you know the eight, the eightfold noble path can also be categorized into the three higher trainings. Okay, those of you who've been here before know about the three higher trainings: ethics, concentration, and wisdom. Okay, and so the the higher training of ethics, which is the foundation of the path, that has three of the. Um, Eightfold Noble Path. It has um, perfect speech or right speech, um, correct speech, there's different ways to translate it, perfect action and perfect livelihood. Those fall under the higher training of ethics. And the higher training of um, concentration, then we have mindfulness and effort and uh, concentration or sometimes it's called single-pointedness. And then through the higher training of wisdom, then we have perfect um, view or understanding. Those are two translations. And perfect thought or realization. Okay. That's just kind of the, the scheme of the eight. Okay. So we're going to... Everybody got that? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have the four noble truths. And as part of the branch of the four noble truths, the fourth one has three subheadings: you know, ethics, concentration, and wisdom. And then the eightfold path: three of them go under ethics, three of them go under concentration, and two of them go under wisdom. Okay. So now let's start at the first one. Okay. So we're we're talking. We're going to be talking under the broad category of ethics, which is basically how to. How to put our life together, yeah, I mean ethics isn't a list of moral codes and it's not a list of do this and don't do that and rewards and punishments, but ethics is just basically how to put our life together so that we can live in harmony um, with ourselves so that we don't have a lot of guilt and regret and confusion uh, and turmoil and how to make decisions and ethics is also how to live in harmony with other people so that we abandon um, things that disturb others and then, you know, upset the balance and, and create disharmony. Okay, so here we're going to talk about, you know, how to use our speech in a, in a proper way, how to use our actions, our physical actions, in a proper way, and how to earn our livelihood in, in a proper way. So let's start with speech okay because speech is something that we do a lot okay (laughs) yeah even though we have two ears and one mouth we use our mouth much more than our ears (laughs) yeah (laughs) and speech also it doesn't mean just the mouth it can be written speech too okay any kind of verbal communication And so the Buddha, when he referred to his own speech, he said uh, that his speech was truthful, it was useful, it was spoken at the right time, and spoken with compassionate motivation. And so these four qualities of of, uh, perfect speech or good speech are very, very important. And let's kind of look at them in a more systematic way, you know, what does it mean to be truthful, what does it mean to speak in a useful way, what does it mean to, to speak at the right time, you know, what does it mean to speak with a, with a good motivation. Okay, so truthfulness, okay, so obviously this means, you know, abandon lying and, you know, deliberately saying things that we know aren't true. Uh, this doesn't mean being a fanatic about telling the truth. And it also doesn't mean being a fanatic um, and using truth in a harmful way. Because sometimes we can say things that are true, but we say them with a mind that wants to cause harm, and we actually do inflict harm, you know, even though what we're saying is true. So even though that would be truthful, it's not really falling under what we mean by truthful here. So so truthful, it is not only saying the facts as best that we understand them, you know, even though recognizing that sometimes we might be uh, incorrect, but it means not using the truth to harm others. Yeah. So, you know, the example that People always at beginning courses come up and they say, oh, there's this precept about not not lying, but what happens if, you know, somebody comes up and says, I want to shoot this guy. Do you tell him where to go to shoot him? You know, is well, uh, you know, that what it means, not to tell lies? I shouldn't lie? Well, I mean, clearly. In <laughs> that kind of situation, you know, you do what's beneficial. But what truthfulness is calling on us to examine is, Really, to see if we're if we do speak the truth as we know it, and how many times when we tell a story, do we kind of exaggerate a point you know to kind of make it more in our own favor well, i I got a letter from one of my students in another country, and um she has a lot of problem with anger. We've been working with this, you know, for a number of years. She was telling me about a fight she had with her husband and how, you know, she just got so mad at him and she was just really telling him off. And she said that the Buddha statue was kind of right opposite to her, you know, where they were in the room where they were having the fight. And she was seeing the Buddha statue and at the same time knowing that what she was saying to him wasn't completely the truth, that she was exaggerating it. You know, to kind of, you know how when you get in a fight, you kind of, you know, I mean, you know. So So she was kind of seeing that happen at the same time she was saying it. And then at one point, you know, kind of something broke inside of her. And she said she just kind of broke down and then, you know, just really apologized to him and kind of said the truth. And they were able to discuss it and, you know and let go, and that was really quite a major breakthrough for her, you know, and I think that was quite a good understanding she had, you know, just to be seeing how we tell the truth but it's not really the truth, you know, how we pick out certain details in something to make, to prove our point and admit the, the, other, the other details that, that would it help us to understand the other person's viewpoint. Sometimes also we exaggerate when we talk, especially um, especially we don't tell the truth to ourselves. Yeah. We say statements to ourselves like, "Nobody likes me." Yeah? I, make, I make all the mistakes. Yeah? everything I do is wrong. I mean, we make these kind of statements to ourselves. They're clearly lies, aren't they? No? Yeah? I mean, how can we say to ourselves everything we do is wrong? It's not true. Not everything we do is wrong. When saying to ourselves nobody likes me, that also isn't true. But we say these kinds of statements to ourselves, and sometimes when we're complaining and feeling sorry about ourselves, we kind of prove our point to other people. And you know, my boss always gets on my case. Yeah, always. So, you know, lots of times we don't even tell the truth to ourselves when we're looking at a situation. We exaggerate things. I also do a lot of double-talking, you know, a lot of explaining the situation this way to one person, this way to another person, saying it this way one time, this way another time. We get quite tangled up in our lies sometimes, in our exaggerations. We forget what we told who. To whom. And so then the next time we don't know what to say, because we don't know which version of the story a certain person has, you know? and then when people find out that we've been lying to them, it really destroys the trust, you know. And if we want to destroy trust in relationships, best way is to lie. Yeah. It really is. Because as soon as we start lying, then the trust goes very easily. We spend a long time building up trust with our colleagues, with our family a partner and then we lie sometimes even over small things and it just knocks away you know a lot of the trust involved. So the thing is you know how how to tell the truth and how to tell it in an appropriate way and how to tell it in a kind way. So also telling the truth it doesn't mean giving all the ugly details that might be painful to somebody means maybe just giving them what they need to know at a certain time, yeah? I mean, people who work in the, in the medical profession know this. If you have somebody who's terminal, you don't kind of sit them down right after they've been through this barrage of tests and they're finally getting the diagnosis and you give them the whole truth for an hour, you know. I mean, the person's overwhelmed. Just give them a little bit of, of the truth about their the diagnosis. Then slowly, as time goes on, fill it in. You know? So, lots of times just to think of how to tell the truth in a graceful way. Okay. Um, and then usefulness how to make our speech useful. Second quality to good speech. Um, so usefulness can, can, um, can be talked about in two ways. Things that are like useful in the long run or ultimately for our ultimate aims, our ultimate goals, like attaining liberation and enlightenment, and useful in terms of instrumentally, temporally, in our day-to-day life. So there's two different kinds of usefulnesses. So how to use our speech in a useful way, in this long-range, ultimate, intrinsic way, um, for the purpose of liberation and enlightenment, is by speaking the Dharma to others, by teaching the Dharma. And that's why it says in, in the teachings that the gift of the Dharma, the generosity of the Dharma, is the highest gift. Because by being able to explain the teachings... Um, that, you know, you give people the tools with which they can free their own minds. Now that doesn't mean that we all have to aspire to be Dharma teachers and it doesn't mean that you have to organize classes and sit on cushions. Uh, okay. But, but explaining the Dharma can happen just in your day to day life. You know, you might meet people and they say, oh, what did you do, you know, on your summer holiday? And, well, I went to retreat. What's that? And then you start talking to them about what retreat means. Or people ask you what you do on Monday and Wednesday nights. And you say, oh, well, I gave up playing poker and I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm going to a Dharma class now. What's that? And you kind of describe to them what it is. And so, you know, teaching the Dharma, sharing the Dharma doesn't mean using lots of fancy terms and complicated concepts and this jargon and you know being impressive it just means basically being uh uh, uh, speaking from your heart you know about your own spiritual path as you see it as you're practicing it you know what is refuge to you why did you take refuge what do you get out of the teachings you know what how do you benefit from meditation? How do you use the practices on patience in your daily life? These are things very often we can share with our colleagues and and friends and family. And it's best, you know, um, because lots of people who are just getting into Buddhism ask me about this, you know, what do I tell my friends, what do I tell my parents? You if know, I tell them I went on a week retreat instead of I went to the beach, you know, yes. they're going to think I'm weird. And, <laughs> uh, you know, generally when you explain Buddhism to people, tell the aspects of Buddhism that already agree with what that person believes in. Okay? So start talking, and you'll see His Holiness when He comes to town. What does He talk about in the big pub- public talks? He doesn't start talking about samsara, and nirvana, and buddha, dharma, sangha, and karma. He doesn't start throwing Sanskrit and Pali words out. He talks about loving kindness, compassion, patience, yeah, harmony, things like that. So this is the best way. Start people off talking about these things. And then as they become interested, then they want to know about other things. Slowly you can fill them in. Or you can bring them to teachings, bring them to the retreats, introduce them to teachers. Uh, that's also another way of sharing the Dharma, giving the Dharma, using our speech to spread the Dharma. So spreading the Dharma doesn't mean going out on street corners. (laughs) We're going door to door. Okay, so that's how to make our speech useful in, in like, the long-term way, using it to lead people to liberation and enlightenment by introducing them to the Buddha's teachings. And it can also be encouraging them in in, um, the spiritual path that they're already on. If somebody is, you know, a devout Christian and they find that beneficial to them, encourage them in that. You know, a lot of Jesus' teachings on loving kindness, patience, these are very good for other people to practice. So it doesn't mean that, you know, you do a hard sell on Buddhism. We're not, you know, kind to uh, sell our product or root for our football team here. (laughs) And then uh, making our our speech useful in an instrumental way, a day-to-day way, is... uh, it helps especially to help uh, avoid conflicts, okay? Um, in other words, by giving people the information that they need because a lot of times conflicts arise because people don't have the information they need. So then they invent something in their head. You know, I mean, they don't know what's really going on, and so then they say, well, this happened, so it must mean X, Y, Z, da-da-da-da-da-da, and then they have a whole thing, and there's a misunderstanding. So sometimes really making our speech useful is giving people the the kind of information that they need. You know, sometimes, like, what time you're going to be home, and where you're going, and, you know, what what they can expect from you, and what they can't expect from you. Uh, and so instead of promising big, lavish, grand things, you know, let people know really what they can expect and, and then try and live up to it. It makes our speech useful. And then also try and, and use our speech to uh, soothe conflicts, to take away tension when there's tension. So it might mean doing some mediation if you have those skills between people who are in conflict. It might mean just listening to a friend who really needs to get something off their chest and talk something out. Um, there's a lot of way of of trying to um, soothe over things. So also making our our life useful, uh, making our speech useful means giving up slandering other people and backbiting. Yeah, because this is not useful speech, okay, when we go around really using speech that is intentionally divisive. And we do this often when we're jealous. Somebody's getting an advantage over us. Somebody's friends with somebody that we want to be friends with. So lots of times out of jealousy, we use our speech in a a divisive way to make people a little bit suspicious of each other, to create a little bit of friction between people, to somehow, you know, do something so that we can wedge in there and, and, and get what we want. So that's not making, you know, when we do that, that's that's really abusing our own, our own capacity for speech. Um, making a speech useful means giving up blaming people. Okay? So that means not only blaming other people, but blaming ourselves. You know, I think really getting rid of this concept of blame to start with. So whenever there's something wrong, you know, whenever there's a difficulty, it's not necessary to blame somebody and attribute all the causes for a situation to one person, be it somebody else or ourself. You know? Maybe with our speech we can just give up, and with our mind give up, this attitude of trying to find one person to blame, and either dumping it on somebody else or dumping it on ourselves. You know? that using our speech and using our our, our intelligence also to look at a situation, you know, multilaterally, to really see all the different things that are going on in it. So that we give up using divisive speech. We give up blaming. We give up slandering. We also give up idle talk. Okay, idle talk is also something that's not very useful. Uh, So we can idle talk a lot of Okay, Um, so idle talk is just really talk that's without any purpose, without any sense. Now, this doesn't have to do necessarily with the subject, okay? It has a lot to do with the motivation and with the mind, whether our speech is idle talk or not, okay? For example, um, if you're just talking about sports to a colleague at work, just to make yourself look good, you know, so you're talking about this triathlon and that, you know, football game and this, that, and the Olympics here, and you're just kind of doing it for no particular reason except maybe to show off how much you know about the different sports or just to waste time or, you know, just to blah, 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 blah and occupy the floor. That would be idle talk. But let's say you're going to visit some relatives and you don't have a whole lot of in common with them. Except this person is interested in sports. And you feel it's very valuable to maintain a, a relationship with this person. And you really want to create harmony and, and find something in common to talk with them about. And so for that person to keep, for that reason, with that person to keep the doors of communication open, then you talk about sports. And that's, in that context, it's quite useful. Okay? So what we're getting here is, is we're trying to ask ourselves questions, you know, to be able to do some introspection on when do we talk in a useful way and, and what do we talk about in a useful way. When do we talk when it's not productive? Okay? Now, of course, talking about, you know, dharma is very useful, But it doesn't mean every time you talk about Dharma it's useful, because talking about Dharma can also be idle talk. Because if you're just sitting there talking to somebody who isn't interested at all about it, Mm -hmm. yeah, and you're just sitting there imposing your own trip about them, and they can't get away, (laughs) (laughs) then that's idle talk. Okay. So it's really a call for us to look and, and, and ask ourselves, what are, when are we using our speech in a meaningful way? And sometimes um, silence can really be the best way of using our speech. It can be the m- most useful way. We'll talk a, a little bit more about that later. But uh, not you know, lots of times, too, we idle talk because we feel we need to fill up the space. I don't say something that's What are we going to do? But sometimes just being silent gives the other person the opportunity to say what they need to say. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's better not to fill the space. Just let there be quiet. See what comes forth from the other person. Let the other person lead the discussion instead of us always leading it. Mm -hmm. Now, also, especially, you know, on, on phone calls, Check out with people. See if it's a good time to talk with them or not. Because lots of times we call people, we assume they have all the time in the world and they're in a hurry. I mean, we know what that's like. We've all been like that. We're on the door. We pick up the phone. And there's Aunt, you know. here <laughs> so another who wants to talk for a half an hour and you can't. <laughs> so they aren't quiet. You can't get a word in Antwoord. You know, so to be sensitive also ourselves, and then not, do that with other people. To ask people, is this a good time to talk? Do you have time? now? And to really uh, use our speech in a wise way. Okay. So that's making the speech useful.